Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Health Department takes proactive measures regarding the coronavirus, then a proposed constitutional amendment, and after bite-sized tech, how a grassroots letter-writing campaign is reaching Mississippi inmates. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States has reached 11. Health officials in Mississippi are closely monitoring the outbreak. The risk of the coronavirus in Mississippi is low, but state health officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the State Department of Health is preparing for potential cases. There is no threat to the general public, right? There's no transmission within the general public of coronavirus, but we know that it is, it is possible. Um, so there's nothing to be specifically concerned at this time, but it's something the health department is watching very closely. We are also working very closely with our partners, uh, physicians, healthcare providers, hospitals, trying to get them prepared because we do think that it's very likely that we will have people come to Mississippi who will be either uh, suspects for this new coronavirus or may even have the new coronavirus, you know, potentially in the very near future. Dr. Paul Byers, the state epidemiologist, says new information is still being gathered and that Mississippi health institutions are preparing despite the current low risk. The, the situation is evolving very rapidly, and we're learning more and more every day. But we did want to make sure that the Mississippi public was aware that um, we are monitoring this and we are putting in place um, plans to prepare for the event if we do have an individual who is either under investigation or if we eventually have cases. We are working individually with some hospitals to begin the process for planning to understand what is the appropriate infection control, how to identify uh, those suspects, um, and to know that they need to call us um, immediately. So if they do see somebody of concern, that is symptomatic and has the appropriate level of contact, that we work with them to, to make sure that we have this place, this, this individual in the right setting and that we do testing. The full clinical spectrum uh, of this illness hasn't yet been defined. Like we said, we're learning more every day. Uh, the symptoms that have been most common right now are respiratory symptoms, fever, uh, cough, um, sometimes shortness of breath that can lead to some complications. Um, but from what we know right now, um, the most common symptoms are, are fever and cough or shortness of breath. Coming up, a proposed constitutional amendment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, 
You can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. According to Mississippi's Constitution, candidates for state office must win both a majority of the popular vote plus a majority of the state's House districts. In the event a candidate does not carry both, the State House of Representatives decides. The provision, written in 1890, received considerable attention during the 2019 gubernatorial race, but a potential constitutional amendment could change that requirement. Democrat Senator David Blunt tells us more. Mississippi has uh, an antiquated electoral vote provision in our state constitution. And so I think what we ought to do is we ought to have an election and the person who gets the most votes wins. Uh, and so that's what my amendment would do. You know, that's that's how it works in just about every other election you can think of. And that's what we ought to do in Mississippi. Has it been used before? Where yes. The, the House has decided the, the outcome of yes. an election? Yes. Uh, so uh, it was used most recently uh, when Ronnie Musgrove was elected governor in 1999, he got the most votes, uh, but he did not get a majority of the vote. And neither candidate carried a majority of the House districts. And so the Mississippi House in January of 2000 elected Ronnie Musgrove governor. And I think most people uh, recognized that at the time because he got the most votes in the election. But the House did elect a governor in January of 2000. And, you know, we just need to be done with this antiquated Jim Crow era provision and let the person who gets the most votes win. Is it clear that the provision was enacted to keep African-Americans out of office? Yes, uh, because, again, House districts are subject to political manipulation. They were in 1890, and they are still to this day. And now, of course, they're changed every 10 years. And uh, it's just it, it doesn't bear any relationship to the will of the voters. And that's what this is supposed to be about. You've also introduced uh, legislation regarding electronic absentee ballot applications. Now, this would be different than the actual voting itself? Absolutely. Uh, Most states, including most southern states, allow for online voter registration. This is instead of having to mail in a form that you print and complete with a, a pen or pencil and put an envelope and mail in, it would allow you to submit your registration electronically. Uh, Most Southern states do this. It saves money. It saves time. And, of course, in Mississippi, you have to show your your photo ID at the polls before you can vote. Uh, This is not electronic voting. This is electronic voter registration, which the vast majority of states are doing right now and we ought to be doing in Mississippi. It seems like an obvious choice. We live in an online world now. I mean, times have changed. Why is Mississippi lagging in this regard? Is it an expensive proposition? Uh, No, actually, it will save the states, particularly the counties. It will save the counties money. It's time we had 21st century technology. But, you know, historically, it's been been difficult to make a 
improvements to Mississippi election law, but uh, I'm hopeful we can do it this year. Do you think these propositions will gain traction? Well, I've introduced a few of these measures uh, for many years uh, and have not been successful, but but this is a new term and we have new leadership, and so uh, I'm making another run at it. I also want to ask you about, as vice chair of the Education Committee, uh, about the in-committee proposal about a $1,000 pay raise for teachers. Yes, I'm a co-author of that legislation, uh, along with our chairman, Senator DeBar, Dennis DeBar from Greene County. This is something that all of us in the Senate feel very strongly about under the leadership of Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. Uh, the bill, uh, we, we gave teachers a pay raise for this current school year in the last legislative session. And this is an additional pay raise for the next school year uh, of $1,000 for every teacher and every teacher's assistant uh, and $1,100 for every new teacher. Uh, we're going to be looking at further raises over the course of the four-year term uh, as soon as we finish this session. But we felt it very important to move forward now and show our commitment to our public school teachers. So uh, we're hopeful we can get that done this year, and we're working in a bipartisan fashion to do that. David Blunt is a state senator from Jackson. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. Coming up after Bite Size Tech, how a grassroots letter writing campaign is reaching Mississippi inmates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Welcome to Bite Size Tech. I'm Jay White. Uber is preparing to cast us all into the age of the Jetsons, and the technology which was announced for launch in Australia last week is already preparing to launch much closer to Mississippi than you might expect. As everyday tech expert Jeremy Thompson embraces the future, yours truly plays the role of the old man down the road in this week's Bite Size Tech. Uber has said it will use Australia's second largest city, Melbourne, as the first international test site for the group's planned flying taxi service. Before we dig any deeper into that, with any kind of detail, what do you think about that? Flying taxis. It's about time. Oh, okay. Right? Well, that's We've been hearing about flying cars for a while, so let's do this thing, all right? <laughs> yes. Back to the Future lied to us. We've right. already passed that time. In, it, like That is history now, 2018 is. We got to fly. We got to get on the flying cars. So I'm with Uber. They see the future here. This is cool. Let's do it. Uber said Tuesday it will begin test flights of the pilotless aircraft in Melbourne and U.S. cities Dallas and L.A. in 2020 before commercial operations begin in 2023. So that's interesting. They have uh, an end goal in mind, and they've given themselves three years to kind of work out the kinks. Well, look, <laughs> there are plenty of cities in the United States that have traffic issues, but Dallas and Los Angeles have to rank way up high on that list. You, you said pilotless? Pilotless aircraft. Okay, I'm, a, I'm a little less eager now. <laughs> I'm just, just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Pilotless aircraft. Okay. We haven't even gotten pilotless driving vehicles yet so i mean i guess it's less dangerous in the air but still i mean <laughs> i don't know it's one of those things where it's like uh something's gonna happen somewhere sometime but 
That's inevitable. Test flights will transport passengers from one of seven Westfield shopping centers in Melbourne to the city's main international airport. The 17-kilometer journey begins from the central business district to the airport. It is expected to take 10 minutes by air compared with the 25-minute ride it usually takes by car. As opposed to it just being like cars on streets on a map you know, where you got this huge grid laid out and you've got a lot of potential for intersections and collisions and things like that. This looks like it might be more like a subway-ish setup where you'll have a very spatial set out and routes that will be specifically designed to where things like this will be at a minimum, I'm guessing. Uh, my main concern is just uh, with outsiders that are not adhering to uh, laws of air traffic control, which will probably have to change and become more strict in order to allow something like this to make sure that we take the anomalies out. I guess really what I'm talking about is like drone hobbyists and things that are just sort of flying about wherever they want. I'm definitely curious to see what they're going to tweak in order to put a stop to that, because that is definitely the only real rampant threat I could think about besides you know, birds or something flying by, but I, I certainly hope that uh, <laughs> it'll be able to detect birds flying by. For more conversation like this or to have your personal tech problems addressed, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is now on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app. And, of course, listen weekdays at 10 right here on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Letters from across the state have started pouring into Mississippi's prisons. The Freedom Letters Campaign, sponsored by the Reaching and Educating for Community Hope, or REACH, Foundation, is a grassroots response to the current prison crisis. Pauline Rogers is a co-founder of the REACH Foundation. She tells us how her past has shaped her foundation's mission. I am formerly incarcerated. I've been out 30 plus years. My husband is formerly incarcerated. He did 16 years at Parchment, and we have been doing this work for 30-something years, Uh, and that's how we got involved in it. We have a reentry campus and transitional home on this, and in fact, the situation that's going on in our state now, had our it's not that people haven't been talking. We've been talking for years. Some have died. I had a brother that died in this same type of activity in the prison system June 29, 2013. Do you think that the violence has been equal all these years, or is there an increase in violence now that has brought this to national attention? Always been there, but there is a degree of increase. I won't say increase. Increase in terms of how we know it. Increase. But it's always been there. Parchment was built and is doing what it was built and intended to do. Wendy had Chaplain Wendy Hatcher was the first female chaplain that was hired in the state of Mississippi. She was also my boss when I was in prison. She wrote a book called Time Served. Even in that book, Time Served, 
She didn't go into all the details because she was a Caucasian lady. And her job would have been just as much at risk in her life as some of the prisoners that have lost their lives on the inside. But she wrote in that book where Parchman became the model prison for profit. And there are stories that she has said she's still living, but, you know, she's dealing with early signs of, of, of dementia that I wish she were able to say. Tommy Terrence, who was also at Parchman, was the head of KKK. He is working now with the C.S. Lewis organization, even started to unveil some of the stuff that was happening in Parchman. It's always been there. It's just more prevalent or appears to be more prevalent because it's been more exposed. Tell me this. Do any of the prisoners, as they're released, who you meet or or who you have contact with, are they telling you stories from within the prisons, stories of violence or retribution, those kinds of things? They were telling me before this became national like it is. I was already going face-to-face with senators, legislators, and public servants. They weren't listening. Finally, Senator John Horn heard me. November the 11th, 2019, Senator John Horn had me, Jerry Mitchell, on his radio program. I said, Senator, we are at a boiling point in Mississippi. He says, even before the radio program, he says, how do you know? I was showing him pictures that, in, in, in video, some stuff I still couldn't show because people were like, well, I didn't give him the cell phone. And I said, prisoners are telling me this. He said, how do you know it's real? I said, my husband did 16 years at Parchment. He got sent to prison, sent to uh, jail when he was 14, sent to prison. Parchment, when he was 15, stayed there 16 years. He knows these units because he almost lived at every single one of them. This is from the inside. So Senator Horn, I said, well, they're going to call. He said, well, I really want people to be present. I said, well, do we want another nice story or do we want the truth? And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I said, I've given them the phone number to the radio station at 730. They are going to call in. He heard it firsthand from people on the inside. I said, you didn't give them the cell phone, neither did I. But they have the information. From November the 11th until when it really got national attention, nothing was nothing happened. Pauline, do you think that the violence, we keep hearing that it's gang-related. Do you agree with that? A degree of it. It's just, it's the gang. It's a gang. And there's a level of responsibility that the DOC, the system, has to recognize and take responsibility for because it's been created. The system has been created to work a certain type of way, and it's working. Tell me this. Why do you think, since this blew up and became a national issue and the deaths have occurred and continue to happen, once it became or once the prisons came in focus in Mississippi, the death of inmates has continued. There have been alleged suicides. There was a death just yesterday. There was another one a day before that or two days before that. Why, if there's, if everyone's looking at the prisons right now, 
are the deaths continuing to occur? The deaths are continuing to occur because the prison or the, the right prisoner or the wrong prisoner don't feel like they've been heard and that their demands or what they expect is being paid attention to, some of that. What would it mean for an inmate to receive a letter from someone they don't even know? What does that mean? Is that significant for a prisoner to receive a letter? It is very significant. I have lived with prisoners where other prisoners would taunt prisoners. Oh, man, I don't know what you're going up for mail call for, or ladies, what you're going up for mail call for. I've been here five years. I ain't never heard your name called. Nobody loving you. Your folks, you know, your folks and gave up on you. So it makes time for that prisoner harder to do. Even if your name is being called for a newspaper, it's significant. It helps you do time. It makes you feel like, even if you don't know the person, that somebody cares. We all serve some higher unseen force. And whether you see or know that person that's writing you, it's the same thing. Somebody care about me. Pauline Rogers is with the REACH Foundation, and part of this effort to get uh, people from around the country to write to prisoners in Mississippi prisons. There are 30,000 prisoners in Mississippi, and the campaign is called the Mississippi Freedom Letters Campaign. Pauline, thank you very much for sharing all these stories with us. Thank you. Dr. Garrett Felber is an assistant professor of history at the University of Mississippi. He's working closely with the REACH Foundation to get students and community organizations engaged in the nationwide campaign. I mean, we've had students and community groups and university professors organizing in Virginia, New York, um, California, Oregon. So across the country, people have chipped in. But yeah, anyone can do it from their home or you could organize a group or, you know, a faith-based group. Any idea how many letters have been written so far? (laughs) My last count, which is a very rough estimate because I have to go through a spreadsheet, um, is we're over 3,000, so somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000. Does a person, if they're writing a letter or letters to particular prisoners, do they get names to write to? Do they send them directly to that inmate, or do they go through the campaign itself first? No, so you, you write directly to someone. I, I, sh- I should say it's not necessarily a sort of typical pen pal relationship. So we are having people just use um, the REACH Foundation's P.O. box. So there's kind of a uniformity to that. But people can write any letter that they want directly to any person um, in the state. The way sort of the logistics work is we've... Um, essentially data scraped the entire database online of names and locations and IDs of everyone and put it into an alphabetized spreadsheet. And you would simply go into that spreadsheet, find a name, and, you know, you'd say, I'm going to write to 10 people and just go through and highlight those. And we have some samples um, on the website that I created of messages that you could send, but they can really be anything expressing your love and support. And that's what this is about, right, to to show that that these prisoners are cared about, that that we recognize that, that it's not a good situation for them and that there are people who care about them? Yeah, I mean, for just to give you a kind of tangible ex- example, Pauline just shared a letter that she received back from someone, um, and we don't know who sent this letter, um, but 
he said that this was the first mail that he had received in eight years of being incarcerated. Um, and that on this particular day that he received the mail, he was sort of sitting on his cot and frustrated with, you know, all the sorts of things that um, go on in a prison and that this lifted his spirits and, you know, that he appreciated this. Garrett Felber is an assistant professor of history at the University of Mississippi and part of launching this Mississippi Freedom Letters campaign. Thank you so much, Garrett. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.